welcome to Business Without with me, Dominic Frisby. And me, Andy Uri. So, Uri Clark is one of the UK's only, if not the only, firm that is both an accountancy and a legal specialist. And one of its partners is Andy Uri, my co-host. And Andy is convinced that so many of the firm's clients are doing so many interesting things. He wanted to find a way to bring those interesting stories to a wider audience. And the means to do that is this podcast. So, Andy, welcome to the programme. Who is our amazing guest doing amazing interesting things today. <laughs> uh, thank you, Dominic. Uh, it, his name is Kevin Driver. Uh, he is an architect by trade, which if you know anything about, takes takes a little while to learn, uh, in a company called Turner Studio, which is originally an Australian uh, firm of architects, which has expanded back to the UK. But he is a, a Brit originally, but spent uh, 20 odd years outside the country. Hello, Kevin. Good evening. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> and uh, so let me get this straight. So, so you do what you you finished university, which for architects is is what seven years, and then you went what s- straight to Australia, was it? No, I, I'd been working for a little while in in London prior to, uh, uh, to to finishing my 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 degree and diploma, and and carried on working here for a few few years. I, I was working with Terence Conran, uh, working on uh, the Blueprint Cafe, was one of the interesting projects with 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 him, and. Uh, Kind of, it was a time when when there were there were people working overseas uh, a lot in Hong Kong and uh, the Far East, um, and I thought it would be a, a nice idea to, uh, uh, to 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 have an experience that was very different to what I was uh, what I was doing in the UK, uh, and a plan to to move to Dublin um, following that. So after a year in Jakarta, uh, we uh, we moved to Dublin for a few years, um, and then um, for reasons best known to us at the time uh, in reflection. I, I don't know what really drew us to, to Australia. We'd never been. We put everything into a, a container and um, uh, found our way to uh, to, to Sydney. Um, and I happened to, to turn up there right when Nick Turner was was setting up a new practice. Uh, so it was half a dozen of us uh, back in 2001. Um, and over the intervening period, we've, we, we grew the practice to uh, over 100 people. Um, and uh, our work in, in Sydney is very varied. Um, and on on a, a kind of a, a, a bit of a whim as a as a, um, a family decision to, uh, to to move back to uh, to the UK, uh, it just sort of felt like the time was right. Uh, it also seemed like a, a good business opportunity to uh, to open up an office in in the UK. We 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 had been doing some work with uh, architects from Europe, and uh, some of our work is also overseas. Um, and it was an opportunity that uh, that Nick Turner was was very keen to um, uh, to, to investigate and expand. Um, and we've been here for two and a half years now as a uh, an office doing work uh, largely here around the UK, um, London, Manchester. Looking at sites in Bristol and and uh, outside of of London, uh, but also working on some Sydney projects. It's it's really good to to have that learning that we brought with us from Sydney that we're we're adopting here in the UK, and uh, that the, there are things that are done differently here that we're taking that learning back to Sydney as well. So it's it's become quite a symbiotic relationship between the two offices. I spent a lot of my early years cutting my teeth helping Australian clients uh, come into the UK for for whatever reasons and. Uh, and I got very used to people being very direct with me and very clear. And I got quite used to in the first meeting I have with an Australian client, they get halfway through the meeting and they'd get bored and they'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah right. You got the job. Get it done, basically. And then and then I, I've been sort of 
too blunt, I've learned I am to in the UK. And you you were just saying after you were saying to me the other day, after being in mm. Australia 15 years, this this is a problem for you too. Yes, well, I mean, thinking back, I think I, I probably found it quite confronting when I first went there, the directness, but it, it, it does make an awful lot of sense. Um, and, and coming back here, I've had to relearn what it means to to, to be English. Um, I mean, e- even writing emails, there's there's a whole um, <laughs> wishing people a good weekend at the end. And I've never even met this person before. I don't know what they're doing this weekend. Um, and just learning that that's what you have to do and, and courting courting people for, you know, a good year. You know, you've got to go through the, you know, the process of the, having a coffee and then you might have a lunch and uh, before you can even start to approach the, the reason why you're actually talking to them. Um, and it was, it, was, it was really kind of borne out when I was uh, meeting with a, <laughs> an Australian friend and colleague who who also moved here to a, to a developer, and um, I met him for a, a coffee. Um, and at the end of the coffee, he said, "Right, what can I do for you? Uh, I can organise a meeting for you uh, tomorrow with the with the boss, and we'll see if we can get you a job." And it was hallelujah, just so refreshing. It just it, it, it never happened. I do exactly the same with emails because people tell me I'm really rude. I uh, I have to I finish almost a lot of the time emails, and then I have to ask myself, "Am I sending it to someone that I have to?" do this bullshit and then I have to do the same I have to add in sort of questions at the beginning and the end and it's uh, it's an embarrassing thing to admit but I just it just seems so inefficient it just seems so inefficient you know yes well, there is a certain, there's a definite process and language in business that uh, is very cultural. It's very different between between places, and that there there is a directness to uh, to, to Australians. We we find it inter office emails. The the English people in the office when they when they get a, an email from somebody from the Sydney office, they, they do sometimes say, is, "Is this person really annoyed with me?" Like, no, that's that's just perfectly normal. You just haven't got the intro and the outro. It's everything else is there, and <laughs> you've got what you, you've got what you needed. Australia is just a different place from a building perspective. I mean, you you don't so much do residential, but you know it always amuses me that that you know fifty percent of Australians it feels like built their own house and designed their own house, which to a Brit is like what. Uh, but there's particularly this mixed use as well that you've sort of it's, been involved so in. Is it really that high, 50%? Oh, it's maybe that's a complete exaggeration, but a shitload <laughs> when you, I don't know, okay. do you know, Kevin? Uh, it, it, it feels like that. I mean, it, it's certainly a place where um, th- there's a lot of a lot of people who would uh, look to build their own, own home or at least have have their own house designed, um, and there's there's certainly a tendency for that quarter acre lot um, and a freestanding house historically is is what's seen as the homestead. Um, our work tends to be it's quite varied, but in terms of residential sense, we uh, uh, we design and deliver a lot of apartment buildings. A lot of those are, are part of mixed use developments as well, um, and it's it's um, a way of living that um, has really been uh, taking off for, for, for 20 years in in Sydney and it's it's something that that's been adopted um, as as a, uh, as a as a lifestyle choice for, for for many and being able to be much more central um, and uh, a certain demographic see it as as a, as a very good alternative to to that large-scale house um, that um, you know, it requires a certain amount of income to be able to afford that and to upkeep it or to Build your own. I always laugh myself this. How many people have built their house in Australia and fucked it up? <laughs> well, actually, we, we, we did ours when we were there. And it, it, we, we've got kids. Of, there were kids of a certain age. And I think it must be a thing when kids get to a certain size and whatever. And everybody, all our friends, were all doing their houses, you know, major extensions. And they were all successful. They all uh, seemed to be on time. They all were really happy with it 
few of them were on budget, but um, I've never seen such a gamut of successful projects of people not not complaining about their builders. No, but what um, about you didn't put but, the toilet in the right place? That's what I mean. Like you think you've designed this perfect house. It's fucking nightmare. Like the reason houses are designed the way they are is because it works like that. You know what I mean? And you overthink these things and put a door in the way or something. Well, actually, it was, it was uh, when I did my own house. There were we had we were renting. The, the other Australian thing is that you you um, you buy where you can and you rent where you want to live. And so we were doing you that. Buy where we, you buy um, where you can, you rent where you want to live. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So I mean. It, yeah, I mean, whatever level you, you you're at, whether you're starting out, you know, you and that thing, or oh, I, I can afford to buy somewhere in Manchester, but I want to live in yeah. London. So you buy a house in Manchester and rent it out, and then you rent where you want to live oh, in right. London, for instance. And and that's what people do in in Australia a lot. So while we were doing that, um, we bought this house that was being rented, and um, I spent a year designing the the extension and that you don't normally get that amount of time. And I didn't change it. Work went on site. I didn't change anything. Um, and Having that extra time was was the reason, um, and you just don't usually get that. Um, well, one thing that often happens um, is that people get divorced while, while they're doing the houses. It <laughs> happens so often. There, there's a, a famous um, Cedric Price, famous English architect, and he famously had a couple came comes in and say, "We want to, you know, design our house, extend or whatever." And he said, "Well, wouldn't you rather get a divorce um, before even getting into the?" Um... <laughs> Let me ask you a question about the quarter inch lot. Um, Quarter way acre of, lot. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I've, 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 I've been Very living in London though. so long. My uh, <laughs> my perspectives of of what is a large uh, lot has have been warped. Um, the, the quarter acre lot. It, it, presumably, that's a sort of American model that's been imported to Australia. Well, it was it was something that that um, through the the fifties and sixties, um, where the the um, the land value was was low and the um, uh, the the building costs were high, people tended to have very large space uh, and quite a small house, um, and that's that's inverted over over the years. Where now um, it's it's cheaper to build and the land price is expensive. So the 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 McMansions, which is also I guess a, a sort of an American import um, is is a new housing model where um, the, the the houses are very large. Everybody has their own living room uh, within a family, um, and the the eaves of each house almost touch each other. You've got a very small garden, um, so apartment living is, is is a very good alternative to that. Um, in in terms of, uh, it often comes with a, a you know a, a, a master plan community where there's open space and your your open spaces is public open space as opposed to a, a, a garden. For yeah, the problem I have with the with the quarter acre plot way of living is nobody ever you stop walking. Certainly, do, do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. And there's not. And in, with your model, is there much more walking? Um, the uh, or is it just the nature of cities in countries like Australia and the USA where there's just a lot of land? You don't have that sort of walking culture that you have in Europe. Correct, and I, I think that um, certainly. Um, that the, the the motor car is 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 um, uh, probably the the motor transport motor transport of choice typically in Sydney, and there's been a, a much greater move to public transport. There's a new metro that's that's under construction that that links from the north all the way through the city and upgrades an existing line that goes to the to the southwest. Um, and it's along corridors like this that um, the new residential um, an urban large large scale urban design um, sits so 
automatically it's it's going hand in hand with walking to a a, 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 a node of public transport um, and and most of the developments wouldn't be providing a car space for every single apartment as well for instance so um, that there, there is a there, there is a tendency to see the the obvious advantages um, both for community and for 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 the environment of of reducing the amount of car use and, and getting people to uh, to walk uh, and use public transport if you were to look around the world at, at you know I'm, I'm one of these people that that gets uh and obviously i don't include you in this <laughs> uh that that looks at what was built 100 or 150 years ago and compares it to what gets built today and despairs in that you know we're 150 years more advanced and yet you know architecture with some exceptions seems to have regressed somehow in terms of beauty and it i think part of that is just the fact that things do get more beautiful with time with the passage of time um but if you were to look around the world at the cities w- w- around the world in terms of what what is getting built what wh- where would you say is is the city that in your opinion is most getting it right i think there's a lot of parallels between between many uh, many different cities um and I'm certainly, as I say, seeing that between uh, between London and, and and Sydney in some respects, um, and I, I think I, I think the the view on on what is appropriate at any given time it does vary over time, um, both because the buildings age, but uh, cultural expectations change. Uh, it's interesting to see the. Um, uh, the, 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 the views on um, the House of Commons before it was uh, completed. It was seen as being a monstrous eyesore and, and out of scale with what was around it. And of course, now looking back at it, it's, it, it's seen as, as an integral part of the, uh, the city. Um, and I didn't know that. Fantastic. Yeah, so so it, the, 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 view, the views change over time. Um, and I, I think there's, there's also a tendency to assume that... that um, living in an apartment block and living in, in a higher density is somehow um, not as good as well, as the quarter acre block. While there's 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 clear ideas of of improvement of connectivity and uh, better for the for the environment being uh, in a higher density, people tend to often see that as as a less good outcome than than being given a, a house or being able to buy a house and a, and a garden of one's own. But the reality is, there's a lot of people for whom uh, living in a higher density uh, situation is seen as um, as a great positive. Um, one of the uh, the buildings that we designed, um, the the people who live there set up their own website. Um, there was a very you know very clear pride in the building um, and the, the the way that they were living and the community that it was that that, that uh, was set up. Um, so, I, I think there's there's often a, um, uh, I think there's an expectation that um, living in a taller building um, in a smaller apartment is actually somehow not as good as living in a house. And I think for many people, that's just not the case. Uh, and that changes over over time. I think most of us have probably spent time in in a variety of different um, sizes and types of of, uh, of dwelling in different parts of uh, different parts of a, a city. So seeing that that being provided for different demographics um, is, is is very important. I, I think that having where, where things tend not to be as good as they might be, it's partly in that planning process. Um, we can see certain areas of London that that are being done 
in, in a sort of relatively piecemeal uh, manner. Um, and there doesn't seem to be the cohesion in terms of planning how that ground plane is going to work, um, how you move through those spaces, where the retail is, how it links to uh, public transport. Um, and without that overarching planning view, um, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a much higher risk of, of the, the ground plane not working quite so well. Um, and the other is is, is engaging with um, the community. Um, there's a community of people who will naturally already live in an area. There's a community that's coming to that area that's not there, not there yet. Uh, and we see it as very important as do, do, do all architects to um, engage with uh, the community at a very early stage. And the, the more successful um, uh, developments um, and, and planning processes really take on board what the existing community has to say, um, sits with them at a very early stage before it's a fait accompli uh, and listens, takes it away and um, and, and, and input those those views into into the process, uh, and we, we've had great success with that process. Um, I mean, increasingly, um, m most um, different um, uh, suburbs will have their own action groups as soon as there's something that that is being developed that uh, is seen as as is inappropriate. An action group will form, and that can actually be very positive for a design team because it it, it means that there's there's a group of people you can automatically go to um, and uh, engage with and have. Uh, a, a, a very high level discussion that we know is is reflecting a, a wider view, voice of the community rather than having to go to lots of individual individuals, um, and that could be a very very successful process. Is it reflecting a wide voice? I mean, the people who tend to get wound up and and, and complain. My one of my neighbours is very upset about something I hadn't noticed. Now he's pointed it out to me. It's annoying me too, but. <laughs> You know, is that you know? It's a bit like people who do surveys. Is that community the the the, the right people or? Well, it, it it depends on the on the process. It can be a bit of a lip service. It can be if it's done too late. Um, again, it can be a, a fate accompli that um, uh, it, it it becomes a less successful process. Um, but I think if you're if you're there at an early stage, I I think um you know there's 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 the use of social media and um. Uh, by engaging through um, exhibitions and meeting with uh, with local community groups, you, you've got a pretty good cross section of of, of viewpoint for, for for any any particular area. And I guess it's just engage and discuss. I mean, one thing that uh, when you ask what's changed over buildings is I I realise how much more time we spend worrying about what it's like to look out of them than they clearly did before. Before it was more like what are they like to look at. Now it feels like it's more like. Well, what can I, you know, how much glass is there? How well can I see out of it? Or how much light? Is there, is there some truth to that? Well, that's a very good point. I mean, in an urban design sense, one one thing that's interesting is is walking around St. Paul's. If you go to the south side of St. Paul's um, and the old street pattern that's there, you'll be struck by the fact that you can't see St. Paul's from anywhere. Um, and, and that would mean also from the windows of the buildings. Even the streets that, that then connect back to the, the, the main thoroughfare around St. Paul's don't point at it. You can't really see it. <laughs> if you go to Paternoster Square on the other side, where the, 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 the area was bombed during the war, the street network that was put in initially in the 60s and all of the schemes that were put together for um, the competition to replace it, be it um, the high-tech schemes or the, um, the classical schemes, they all were around views of St. Paul's. So the idea of views has become central to everything that we do in a way that, that, that wasn't historically. I mean, clearly... 
uh, that putting a church on an axis is 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 not a new thing, but um, to to embody a view as in, an integral part of every aspect of uh, a master plan is it, quite a new idea. Mm. It's all pervasive. Um, so that's one aspect that I've, I've found quite interesting. The the other is that uh, yes, you're 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 right that the the, the 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 thought about what it's like to be in a building is is probably and the view out of it is probably more important now than it was before, um, and that sort of leads to ideas of amenity. So residential design codes. Um, Sydney has has had a residential design code for apartments for some twenty years, um, and there's a, a suite of different codes here in the UK that are perhaps a, a, a little younger than that, and are clearly learning um, because there's 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 some kind of um, mirroring between those documents, um, and they they're quite powerful documents in terms of making sure that people have enough light, have space and views that are not looking straight out onto somebody else from a privacy point of view. Um, and they they work as a, as a pretty good template to to make sure that, that people's living and working environments are full of amenity, basically. Um, and so that, that consideration of everybody equally um, is, is, is quite a positive. And I guess back in the day, you'd look out the window and see a lot of horse shit and smoke and a mess. I mean, maybe cities have, they've got tidier, haven't they? Got the sewage underground, all these sorts of mm. things. You know, it was before buildings were somewhere you wanted to go into this sort of space. I mean, apart from issues of glass technology or heat, you know, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge change. You have, I mean, it's a boring question, but it's a good question for an architect from a non-architect. What, it, what are your, is St. Paul's a favourite building? Is there, is there anything in London or otherwise that is a real favourite? Um, well, in fact, there's a good, good building right next door to it, which is Jean Nouvel, who's a French architect. Uh, it's a shopping, uh, a shopping centre just to to the east. Um, it's 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 a sort of a, a faceted glass building. Uh, it draws you in through a, a faceted glass arcade. That's that's a, that's a nice building, um, and it's it, I, I think seeing seeing buildings in their wider context, that that particular building is very specific to its location. It's very strong, um, even though it's it's next to an iconic uh, historical building such as St. Paul's. So seeing buildings not in isolation, but how they sit as part of the city um, is is really important. Um, there's there's some great iconic new buildings um, that that perhaps don't necessarily do the what well, they're great in, in and of themselves. They perhaps don't provide the best for the city itself as a working city. There's often a, a tendency for, for the architect um, iconic building to be the uh, the poster for a city that might draw the tourists to the city as a whole. Um, but, you know, I think it's probably more successful when um, uh, when a modern building is is integrated um, and, and looks to how it also might sit in a, in a future context as well. I always wonder what London would look like without the Blitz, because it was obviously a horrific event but it was, you know, it enables so much sort of regeneration. And in, in Paris where they don't, you know, you wonder what it would be. And it sort of begs that question now, you know, what 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 do we keep and what don't we keep? That's such a fine line. Well, I think London's very exciting from that point of view that um, one of the positives out of the, the sort of lack of planning cohesion um, is is that you do get these juxtapositions between um, things that... that M- might not otherwise normally be 
um, be considered uh, appropriate to be next to each other, both in building form or materiality. And, and as you say, the, um, uh, the those bomb sites they're they're, they're interspersed around the city, um, and, and so it's given that opportunity to sort of break that cohesion. And there's a sort of a, a sense of sort of frisson and excitement by having um, those points of difference being allowed to, uh, uh, to to touch and be close to each other, whereas many other cities. Um, particularly post-war, um, might, might have rebuilt exactly as, um, as it was before. Um, and I, I think it's, 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 it's quite a, a British response to, um, uh, to, to not do that, to, uh, to, to seek to do something that's, that's new and, um, and continuous. Let's um, just change the subject for a moment. Let me ask you a question. Prior to COVID-19, we have had in the UK basically a housing crisis in that anyone born after about 1985 can't afford to buy a house. I mean, now it might be that COVID gives us the solution to that, but, but I mean, how would you solve the UK's housing crisis? As, uh, you know, what's the architect's perspective? I think there's, there's many, many aspects to, to del- delivering housing. Um, and I think that... Um, the the, the graph of who is delivering housing over the last um, decades is very similar between uh, many different countries. Um, And I think what one sees is that um, the housing provided by councils, the social housing, has has dropped off. Uh, I mean, it's, you don't need me to say that, it's it's very clear that 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 hasn't been delivered in a way that it was uh, back in the, uh, the 50s and 60s. And as an element, that's just crying out for being a part of the solution. Um, I, I think that developers come in for um, pretty hard rap, um, and often that's not necessarily uh, appropriate. I think the there, there's an element of the solution, which is the delivering of housing through that model, um, and those numbers are needed. Uh, but what we're missing is is that social housing. Um, there's there's some interesting work in terms of, of self-build as well. Um, but the, 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 the nature of self-build is that the, the, the volume, while it's good and it provides um, a distinct direction for those who can and want to, to take that route, it's, it's not going to pr- provide the volume, but it needs to be certainly part of, uh, you know, a strong part of the solution. Um, so yeah, the problem is uh, with self-build is finding the land. Yes, I mean that's that's the trouble for everyone at the at, at the moment. Yes, so the the, the density. I mean, interesting with the the, the COVID uh, discussion there was that um, density that we were talking about increases accessibility, it, it decreases you know, the car use. It's it's better for the environment, but it, it's also one of those things that has 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 been the factor in the speed of the spread of of a virus. Um, And it's noticeable that a city like um, London that um, is very good at using public transport, um, there's there's been a a much higher and speedier um, uh, spread of of a virus in a way that it seems not to have done in places places like Sydney and those outside of of London. So I think there's also going, I don't know what the answer is, but I think there's... Well, do you think, I mean, this is something I've been thinking about because... I, we were on this sort of inexorable trend of more and more people wanting to live and work in London and London getting increasingly dense and then and and you know regions being forgotten apart from sort of satellite towns commuter towns close to London I mean it, we don't know how quite yet quite how the extent to which covid virus is is going to unfold how long it's going to manifest itself for but you know it's possible that that reverses 
And people decide, actually, do you know what? I don't want to live around other people. I want to live a bit further away with a bit more space around me. Is that a possibility you see I, I, a sort of revival of the regions as a result? I, I think I think very much you're right. As I say, I, I, I think I don't, I don't have a, an answer now to, to, uh, to, to what the effect will be, but there, there certainly will be an effect. And part of that effect will be gauging what people decide to do for themselves. Um, and we, we, we are seeing that there's um, uh, quite a lot of work that we're, we're, we're looking at in, in regional cities and, and outside of cities. Um, so I think there has been a tendency to, um, to increase housing and density and, and, and other typologies in, in Manchester, Bristol, um, and, and other locations in between. Um, so that, 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 that also may, may well increase. Um, I, I think London... Is, is, has always been slightly different. Um, it it, it w- will inherently um, continue to, uh, uh, to to increase in density, one would imagine. But it will certainly be interesting to see how the, both the profession, the industry, and and people uh, in the community generally react um, to to what has occurred with with COVID nineteen and and how that might impact on uh, on the way we design cities. Tell us what are you what are you working on at the moment. What projects are you working on at the moment, and and have have they been mothballed, or what's going on? Well, a, a, a bit of both. I mean, we've we, we've from, from a scale point of view, um, just just before Christmas, we were working on a um, a new town for a uh, for, for a location in in Egypt that was uh, what is for three thousand five hundred homes and a new town centre and uh, three hotels and everything that goes along with 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 all of that. And at the same time, we were looking at um, eleven apartments in Rickmansworth. So you know we've got we've got a scale that kind of and also a location looking internationally through the UK office um, and, and looking locally here in um, uh, in the UK and London. Um, our, our most recent project that we um, uh, have a planning approval for is is for 420 apartments um, and a mixed use with with commercial and, and retail. That's in Brentford. Um, so we were we were very pleased to um, to get that to a, a, a really good milestone, and it was was due to start on site any time now. But obviously that's uh, that's been that's been deferred until uh, until the, the, to the sites uh, set back up again. Um, so we 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 we're finding that um, there's there's certain typologies. We had a hotel that we were looking at, which which has gone on hold, but that um, that looks like it 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 may have have life in it yet. Um, there's certain typologies that that are suffering in the current climate, um, and, and other projects that uh, that are continuing, um, and and so there's 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 clearly those those clients who are seeing this as an opportunity potentially, or or at least an ability to keep going, uh, and others who have uh, effectively hibernated uh, for, for for this period, particularly if they're working on projects that are on site. So we're seeing a bit of a range. Um, so we we are working on projects both here in in the UK um, and in Sydney as well. Uh, and Sydney's finding the same thing that um, uh, hospitality and leisure projects uh, clearly are going on hold, but but other typologies, residential still still continuing. I mean, uh, it, it's it's a strange thing, really. Um, it, trying to work out what you know, a lot of these projects have such long timelines, don't they? So I can't imagine what they must be trying to do. They're all probably just saying, "Well, let's stop for a minute because I, I need to think about this." Almost, but at some point, they're going to have to get on with it anyway because it takes so long. So they'll spend 
you know, forget about coronavirus being a year. I mean, they could spend two years discussing planning. I mean, that's pretty normal, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, the the, the councils are doing very well at, at setting up in in terms of being able to do things remotely, uh, looking for processes that get through all aspects um, from pre-apps to to approvals. You think they're doing a good um, job? So, Sorry, that's, it almost so, blew my mind. There, the councils are doing a really good job at working remotely. That doesn't. It doesn't sound like the sort of governmental... (laughs) (laughs) What they've done, Andy, is they've shut down everything and gone home. (laughs) Set up a fax machine at home. (laughs) I've actually got a really good stat like that, and this is a sideline, but just forgive me. Do you know who who is the biggest um, consumer of fax machines? Which, Which body in the world spends the most on fax machines of any body in the world? HMRC. Close, NHS. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what would you say to someone if they've got a kid or 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 someone drawing bit, uh, buildings religiously? Because I'm sure it's those people who become architects. When I was little, there's always someone obsessed with buildings. Were you obsessed with buildings? Yeah, I mean, it it, it, it is it is a real passion. Um, it's got to be a passion to, to 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 go through the process to become an architect because uh, that that's that's what. That's what we all have. It's a vocation. Um, I was 12 when I um, decided that that's what I was. Uh, it wasn't that that's what I was going to be. I just decided that's what I already was. Um, <laughs> I think as a little kid, I wanted to be an inventor. And I think that was just a word I knew. And looking back, what I actually meant to myself was a designer. And then at school, we had one of the dads came in and gave a, you know, a talk, a careers talk. And I was like, that's, he was an architect. And I was like, that's, that's it. That's what I want to be. So in the holidays, when I was uh, at school, a bit older, I, I went and worked in an architect's office. And I, I love the drawing boards. It was just very different to any other office type. I mean, obviously now all offices are similar and they've all got screens. But um, at that point, having um, having drawing boards and spending all day drawing was was just an amazing um, amazing point of difference. Um, and it's it's a very varied um, career. Um, not only are you working on different types of building, there are different stages, so you've got buildings on site. Um, you, you're, you're going through the, the, the process of, of, of a political process, getting a planning mm. approval. You have to be very persuasive and, and understand um, the, the, the nature of what's happening in the room and being able to um, work through a through a political process. Um, and, and there's the artistic uh, side that, that that is a sort of continuing underlay through the, through the whole process. Um, and I think one of the things that um, sort of links all those things together, architects get often referred to as um, jack of all trades. But the the the, the real key that um, is the point of difference for an architect is the ability to see all those disparate views, all the engineers and the the stakeholders and the, what the client wants and what the community wants, and be able to to put them together to make a cohesive sense out of so much disparate information. And, and that in itself is, 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 is quite a skill, uh, not to be the specialist honing down to um, some very narrow, knowable thing. You're, you're, you're bringing this big wealth of things together and, and keeping that complexity, but making, making a, a story out of it that, uh, that's cohesive. And that's, that's, that's a great process to, uh, uh, to be a part of. Um, and and I, I found that you know, through um, uh, the way that I came to to architecture, I've uh, seen it as really important to um, to be part of that that teaching back a, a, again. So as, as part of doing reviews and crits, I, I was part of University of New South Wales going to um, uh, reviews at, at, at end of terms and do likewise here at uh, University of Westminster. Uh, it's very it's very appealing to be part of that that that. 
process, but also um, giving talks. I gave a talk both at my old school and my kids' school as to uh, uh, just a careers day, talk about being being an architect. Because uh, if you've got one person in the uh, in the audience who, who comes away and says that's that's exactly what I want, or or even a kid that comes away saying. I thought I did, but I definitely don't want to be doing that now that I've heard about it. You know, either way is good, um, and so that, that was that was important to me growing up. So it, it's something that you know, I, I see is really important to, to to be part of as well, and to, uh, to to enthuse people and to, to to help people understand what an architect actually does. It's it's um, uh, it's always a surprise, a degree to which people often don't really know what an architect does, um, what that full process. Um, means um, I think people see the drawing aspect and the drawing boards but it that's that's only one small aspect to uh, to, 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 to what the, the, the process is what the job is and what the day-to-day activities are would you recommend to any youngsters looking to try to work <laughs> out what they want to do at university would you recommend architecture or would you say stay away I, I think you already know I remember I mean say I was I was young already knew and I, I went through all that careers stuff already knowing what I wanted to do and what what, what, I, what I was always kind of bowled over by was that the architects I spoke to all tried to persuade me not to do it or persuade everybody not to do it. Oh, seven years is a long time. If you're there and you enjoy architecture, being there for seven years, I wanted it to be longer. It was great. Um, And all this negativity that was coming through saying, don't do it, you don't get paid much, all those usual things. I'd already made up my mind and I knew that I was going to be an architect regardless of what anyone said. And I'd imagine it's the same for others. Um, you, You don't need to be told whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, you've already made that decision for yourself. And if you if you don't know for sure, then it's probably an indication that that you might have another passion or interest that that might be be, be better to pursue. Um, it's never the same, you know. When I listen to you talk, it's such a complicated task. It's like producing a record. You've got to sort of carry this thing, and there's so many different skill sets and times. And actually, you do get the same in, I guess, in all maybe all professions. Well, I, I don't know what they are exactly, but. I mean, that's what strikes me. And I mean, you're never, not one day is the same as the next. Is that, I mean, I assume that's the same for you. Correct. Yes. Yeah. I mean, both in where, where you are, whether you're in a meeting or on site or on a drawing board or on an iPad, um, or, or just or just thinking, um, because there, there's, a, there's a lot that, that, that happens in, in, in one's head. I, I do quite enjoy traveling between meetings and using that time to, to, to collect all those disparate things that have been coming at you all day. Um, another aspect of the process that we get very involved in, particularly the residential, is, is the marketing. Um, so for a large development, 200 plus apartments, there'd often be a marketing suite. So we probably design that. Sometimes they're freestanding little pavilion buildings, um, and they're really nice nice little projects in themselves um, and uh, being part of that branding and marketing process. Um, and we, we then end that with the day that the, um, the, the, the sales team come to the, um, uh, to, to the sales suite to start doing their, their sales. It might be 10 or 20 of them. We would normally stand there with a the model and the drawings and explain. This, this was our idea. This is why the building's named the way it is because there was some idea behind it. Uh, and as architects, to, to download all that we had in our heads as we went through that process. And it's, it's then rewarding to hear the, the marketing people use that language themselves. You know that it's worked, that, that it's understood, that it's actually integrated into the design of the building when the language you use at the beginning with your initial sketch is, is then being portrayed by others uh, to the people who are eventually going to be living or working in the building. Uh, and that's that's a sort of unexpected part of the process that uh, I think many don't uh, don't get a 
get, get a part of. But it also means that you're, you're engaging with the people who are going to be using the building. If you're designing large buildings, you're often uh, talking to the developers um, and they're not the ones that are, are often living living or working in the buildings that you're, you're designing. So anything that, that can actually put you face to face with the residents and, and the community is, um, uh, it, 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 it's, it's one of the most helpful parts of the process. Okay, well, great stuff. Um, Kevin, uh, as we wrap this up, why don't you uh, give out your website uh, and some information about how people can find out more about you and what you what you do? Great, thanks. Well, we're, we're called Turner. We're architects, urban designers, uh, interior architects, and environmental graphics. That's uh, wayfinding and signage. Um, so we, we create large-scale environments down to uh, the detail. Uh, we're located in, uh, in London and in Sydney. And our website is turner.studio. Great stuff. Well, Kevin Driver, thank you very much. And uh, to you, dear listener, as well, thank you very much. And Andy and I will be back uh, with another podcast very soon. And make sure you subscribe to the show so you can join Andy Uri and me, Dominic Frisbee, for the next episode of Business Without B****.